Chapter 12 Controversies The blockchain industry and Bitcoin in particular have not been strangers to controversy. While some aspects have been touched on in previous chapters, they do deserve further elaboration. Silk Road No discussion of cryptocurrencies can ignore the outsized impact of the illegal marketplace called Silk Road on the adoption and success of Bitcoin. The now infamous website first appeared online in February 2011. It could not have come about without the creation of two key inventions. The Tor browser for anonymizing internet users, Tor is an abbreviation for the onion router, and Bitcoin for anonymizing transactions. The Tor browser is a web browser and is so named after the onion-like encryption layers that conceal the identities of its users. When using Tor, internet users' traffic is directed through a network of volunteer nodes like the layers of an onion that can only identify the immediate source and immediate destination of the internet packets they are transmitting and not the original source and final destination nodes. Anonymizing systems were originally created by the US government to protect the online identities of persecuted dissidents and intelligence sources in countries with totalitarian governments rather than help them conceal illegal activities. However, much like many new inventions, its most popular use case was never imagined by the inventors. What this meant was that the proprietors of Silk Road were able to set up a website that became a veritable eBay-like marketplace for illegal drugs and other clandestine activities. Independent sellers sold everything from LSD and heroin to cannabis and ecstasy with each product receiving honest reviews and ratings from previous customers detailing the purity, potency and quality of the merchandise. The site had over 10,000 products, 70% of which were drugs, and also had detailed instructions for sellers on how to avoid the detection of the drugs in transit by using vacuum packing and other methods when sending them via the mail to their customers. In May 2011, Gorka published an expose on the website, and of course, once authorities got wind of it, politicians like US Senator Charles Schumer demanded that the DEA immediately locate and arrest the proprietors and take it offline. However, the nature of the Tor technology meant that it was no easy task to identify what the IP addresses of the servers were, let alone their location. For the next couple of years, it seemed that organized crime had finally figured out a way to escape the long arm of the law permanently. However, FBI technicians carefully analyzed the site for vulnerabilities over a long period of time and set up an operation to try to bait and identify the proprietor of the site, who was nicknamed Dread Pirate Roberts. The investigation yielded results, and after gathering together a number of clues that included the leaking of the site's IP address through the capture test it utilized, Dread Pirate Roberts's real email address left on a coding forum site and the IP address of his computer stored on a third-party VPN provider, the FBI were able to arrest the site admin, Ross Ulbricht, the real name of Dread Pirate Roberts, at a public library in San Francisco on October 2, 2013, while he was logged onto Silk Road as an administrator. The FBI was also able to seize nearly 174,000 bitcoins that were in Ross Ulbricht's possession, worth nearly $23 million at the time of his arrest. Ross Ulbricht was eventually convicted of money laundering, computer hacking, conspiracy to traffic fraudulent identity documents, and conspiracy to traffic narcotics by means of the internet 
in February 2015 and sentenced to a double life sentence plus 40 years without the possibility of parole. His bitcoins were also forfeited and sold by the US Marshals, an action that in fact contributed to increasing the legitimacy of the currency. Interestingly enough, the investigation of Silk Road also unveiled the corrupt use of Bitcoin by two Baltimore-based undercover investigators, one from the DEA and one from the Secret Service, who were involved in the law enforcement operation and who kept a significant amount of Bitcoin transferred to them by Ross Ulbricht. They were eventually charged with wire fraud and money laundering, convicted and respectively sentenced to six and a half years and eight years incarceration for their offences. The case really highlighted the corrupt nature of Bitcoin and the potential for it to even anonymously influence the actions of law enforcement officials if they were given the right incentives. Incredibly, just over a month later, in November 2013, a new version of the site called Silk Road 2.0 was launched. However, it was short-lived and closed down shortly after when it suffered a hack that resulted in the loss of its Bitcoin reserves. Many other sites have attempted to occupy the vacuum left by Silk Road, like Black Market Reloaded and Diabolus Market, However, so far, none has reached the same scale as their predecessor, and many others have in fact turned out to be scams and absconded with the user's funds. The effect of Silk Road on Bitcoin was phenomenal, as it was the first real-world use case of cryptocurrency. Silk Road wasn't the first website to utilize the anonymizing features of the Tor network in an effort to circumvent law enforcement, having been preceded by the Farmer's Market, a site that launched in 2010. However, the site was compromised by its use of traditional financial intermediaries like PayPal and banks to facilitate the online transactions for illicit substances. It was taken down in April 2012 and the proprietors were convicted and sentenced to lengthy prison terms also. The use of Bitcoin on Silk Road really triggered its success as transactions could now be truly anonymous for both buyers and sellers. Although no site has yet successfully followed on from where Silk Road's journey ended, it did lay the groundwork and it is only a matter of time before a more successful darknet marketplace is created to fill the market need. Future implementations are also likely to address the technical vulnerabilities of the original site. The effect of Silk Road on the price of Bitcoin was obvious. By June 2011, the price per Bitcoin had spiked to $32, crashing down eventually to a trough low of $2. The libertarians' dreams of a world with limited government intervention seemed to have a real shot of becoming a reality. Now it was possible for anyone in the world to transact with whomever they want to buy whatever they want without the fear of government interference. Whether this is a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen, but it does mean an entire new paradigm for economics, politics and society in general. Some people might be okay about a world in which everyone has free will and is allowed to put whatever substance they want in their own bodies, although many people don't approve of this from a moral perspective. But what about when the next level is reached and people start buying chemical weapons online or hiring a hitman online? We are in a new paradigm that will completely disrupt the old way of doing things and as a society we need to have open discussions about what the implications of this new paradigm are and how do we deal with them. This is one of the main points of which people need to be aware.
We are already in this new paradigm, so what do we do about it? Mount Gox. In the early days, another important infrastructure element that supported Bitcoin was the Japanese-based exchange Mt. Gox, which was founded in 2010 by Jared McCaleb, an early Bitcoin entrepreneur who also ended up being a key founding team member of both the Ripple and Stellar Lumens cryptocurrencies. The website was originally intended to be an online exchange for Magic the Gathering trading cards, hence the name being an abbreviation of Magic the Gathering Online Exchange, MTGOX. While the domain, mountgox.com, was initially used for a trading site built by McCaleb to trade the collectible cards like stocks, it was only live for about three months in 2007 before the founder lost interest. It was only in July 2010 that McCaleb learnt about Bitcoin and came up with the idea of using the domain to launch a Bitcoin exchange. McCaleb, however, was time poor and wasn't able to devote the effort required to upgrade the exchange, so in March 2011 he sold it to Marc Carpellis, a French citizen, just in time for the first major price bubble of June 2011. Unfortunately, throughout its short-lived existence, the site was plagued with technical and management problems as it struggled to keep up with the exponential increases in demand during boom cycles. Just as the 2011 bubble started deflating, on the 19th of June, a hacker was able to exploit a security weakness that allowed them to gain control of some of the exchange's hot wallets and cause a flash crash to zero that spooked the entire market. Mt. Gox was also accused of poor management during the April 2013 bubble when the price soared to $266 then crashed down to almost $55 overnight when trading suspended to allow the market to cool down. Despite all of the problems, Mt. Gox was the best exchange out of a whole lot of poorly run exchanges that comprised the entire Bitcoin exchange market, and by the time of its demise in February 2014, it controlled 70% of the market. Mt. Gox started to unravel from May 2013 when the U.S. Department of Homeland Security confiscated $5 million from the accounts of Mt. Gox's U.S. subsidiary because FinCEN, the U.S. government's financial crimes enforcement network, had not issued it with a money services business MSB license to facilitate money transmitting. MT Gox's local partner, CoinLab, also commenced a lawsuit against the Japanese parent company claiming that it had breached their contract by not transferring its US customers to CoinLab. On the 20th of June 2013, Mt. Gox suspended US dollar withdrawals and then on July 4th claimed it had fully resumed withdrawals. However, very few customers could confirm receiving their withdrawals from the company. In November 2013, Wired magazine claimed that Mt. Gox had been effectively locked out of the US banking system because of regulatory issues. Users were reporting months and months of delays for withdrawals. Then on February 7, 2014, all Bitcoin withdrawals were suspended. On February 10, Mt. Gox issued a statement claiming that the Bitcoin protocol had a bug called transaction malleability, the same bug that SegWit was later created to fix. Mt. Gox claimed, 
A bug in the Bitcoin software makes it possible for someone to use the Bitcoin network to alter the transaction details to make it seem like a sending of Bitcoins to a Bitcoin wallet did not occur when in fact it did occur. Since transaction appears as if it has not proceeded correctly, the Bitcoins may be resent. Mt. Gox is working with the Bitcoin Core development team and others to mitigate this issue. In effect, this meant that Bitcoins had been gradually drained from the exchange's internet-connected hot wallet since the end of 2011. Without proper auditing procedures, the theft was left undiscovered until the exchange eventually became insolvent. On February 28, 2014, Mt. Gox filed for bankruptcy protection from its creditors. It emerged that the exchange had a shortfall of nearly 850,000 bitcoins with a market value of $491 million, comprising almost 7% of all bitcoins in circulation at the time. Around 750,000 of those bitcoins belonged to Mt. Gox customers, while the company itself lost 100,000 of its own bitcoin stash. On March 20, an old cold wallet was discovered that contained 200,000 of the bitcoins, and on April 14, Mt. Gox gave up its attempts at rehabilitation and applied to the court in Tokyo to be liquidated. In August, the CEO, Mark Carpellis, was charged with fraud for falsely manipulating account balances and embezzlement for dishonestly transferring balances worth $2.6 million from an account intended for traders' funds to an account under his control in early 2014. Ordinarily, that would have been the end of things, but in the world of cryptocurrency with exponential increases in price, anything can happen, and in this case it did. While Mt. Gox's bankruptcy and liquidation proceedings progressed over the last few years, the Bitcoin price recovered and increased, and in 2017 soared to nearly $20,000. This presented the liquidators with exceptionally unusual bankruptcy circumstances that they had probably never encountered before. They suddenly had more assets than liabilities. In fact, while on February 28, 2014, Mt. Gox claimed to have $37 million in assets, $63 million in liabilities, and nearly $500 million in lost bitcoins, in March 2018, its bitcoin stash was worth more than $1.4 billion. Because the liquidators were obliged to follow Japanese standard liquidation procedures, account holders' balances were converted to Japanese yen at the time of the commencement of bankruptcy proceedings. After paying $500 million to those creditors, the remainder is likely to be distributed to the shareholders of Mt. Gox. Mark Carpellis, as the 88% majority shareholder, stands to make a killing despite his obvious incompetence. Although this perhaps wasn't his original intention, it understandably puts him in an uncomfortable position in regard to the account holders who trusted him so much with their Bitcoin savings and yet stand to be shortchanged just because of a legal quirk that doesn't recognize the legitimacy of Bitcoin holdings priced in Bitcoin. He has broached this subject in an AMA, Ask Me Anything, question and answer session on the Bitcoin forum on Reddit and has publicly insisted that he will endeavor to make all the creditors as whole as possible. He has claimed that he doesn't seek to profit out of the incredibly awkward situation. Thus, the cryptocurrency market is still an industry in teenagehood. 
Like any new environment, Darwinian forces are at play, eliminating weak players and promoting the growth of more successful and thorough businesses with proven business processes and ruthlessly scrutinized auditing procedures that have stood the test of time. More and more of the early cryptocurrency businesses like Mt. Gox, Trade Hill, and BitInstant have gone extinct, being replaced by other more robust players like Bitfinex, Coinbase, and Kraken that will probably remain on the scene for many years to come. This current generation of crypto companies are inspiring more confidence in consumers, which is evidenced by the number of users who are willing to leave their crypto holdings on an exchange for extended periods of time, just as they would do with their savings in a bank. In the end, the Mt. Gox experience has really turned into a marker along a very long highway that presumably ends in the mass adoption of cryptocurrency by most of the world's population. BTCE Mt. Gox wasn't the only exchange associated with shadiness. Another exchange that appeared at a similar time was BTCE, referenced in the previous chapters, a Russian-controlled exchange with a very amateur-looking interface that in many respects tried to be one of the most forthright exchanges. Although it never dominated the market like Mt. Gox, it did create a loyal following of day traders who would talk up or talk down whatever cryptocurrency was the flavor of the month in the exchange's chat box, an endless source of colorful conversation and equally colorful language. The main attraction of BTCE, however, was the lack of industry standard AML KYC reporting, which meant people could trade without even identifying themselves or submitting any official identification documents. Unfortunately, however, this meant that the exchange naturally attracted some of the more unsavory members of the Bitcoin community who wanted to avoid government scrutiny of their more nefarious activities. This also meant that the exchange generally had a lower market price than its competitors, more than likely because the bad actors were willing to unload their Bitcoin at a discount rather than encounter the AML KYC procedures present at the other exchanges. Thus, it's no wonder that the Mt. Gox hackers also found their way here as they plotted how to get rid of their ill-gotten gains. The Mt. Gox hackers weren't the only criminals associated with BTCE. Late 2013 saw the rise of a new use case for Bitcoin, ransomware. Ransomware is essentially a malicious virus that encrypts the contents of the infected machine's hard drive, rendering it inaccessible and unusable. The only way for the victim to decrypt the hard drive is by paying a ransom to the creator of the virus to receive the private key to decrypt their hard drive contents. Bitcoin facilitated a new method of payment that bypassed the traditional payment system. It therefore became integral to the ransomware business model. These attacks have become more and more common, climaxing in the WannaCry ransomware attack of May 2017 that infected 230,000 computers in 150 countries. Allegedly, BTCE was a key exchange used by the ransomware perpetrators to launder the proceeds of their crimes. It was also alleged that one of the suspected proprietors of BTCE, Alexander Vinnick, was complicit, if not responsible, for the Mt. Gox hack, and BTCE was the exchange through which many of those coins were laundered. Bitcoin security firm WizSec had identified Vinick as a suspect because he had been linked to an online identity called WME who had been advertising cheap Bitcoins on the Bitcoin Talk forum. 
The proprietors of BTCE had vouched for WME, stating, We know WME very well. WizSec's analysis of the Mt. Gox theft also revealed that the private keys to the Mt. Gox hot wallet had been compromised back in 2011, and the coins were gradually drained over a very long period of time, sometimes being transferred to Vinix's personal wallet, and sometimes to BTCE, where they were presumably sold. The law finally caught up with Vinick and BTCE on the 25th of July 2017 when, in a coordinated law enforcement operation, Vinick was arrested while on holiday in Greece after the US Department of Justice indicted him personally and BTCE with one count of operation of an unlicensed money services business and one count of conspiracy to commit money laundering. In addition, Vinick was indicted for 17 counts of money laundering and two counts of engaging in unlawful monetary transactions. He was also fined $12 million and BTCE was fined $110 million for the offences. In a simultaneous action, BTCE's servers and domain were seized by the FBI and their bank accounts were frozen. At the time, the bank accounts comprised 38% of the company's funds and operations effectively ceased. The indictment from the US Department of Justice alleged that Vinick was the operator and owner of multiple BTCE accounts, including administrator accounts, was the primary beneficial owner of BTCE's managing shell company, Canton Business Corporation, and was the recipient of various withdrawals from BTCE administrator accounts that went directly to Vinick's personal bank accounts. It also alleged that the ill-gotten proceeds from several notorious hacks and thefts from Bitcoin exchanges were funded from a BTCE administrator account associated with Vinick. With regards to BTCE, the US Department of Justice contended that the exchange was heavily reliant on customers who were criminals, which it facilitated by not implementing KYC or AML as required by US federal law, despite having a significantly large number of US-based clientele. They also claimed that the company had also failed to register with FinCEN as a money services business. Allegedly as a result, it had become the destination of choice for many drug traffickers, hackers, and ransomware perpetrators. While the US immediately requested Vinick's extradition to the US, both France and Russia also made requests to Greece for his extradition to those respective countries for similar, albeit in Russia's case lesser, charges. The most interesting part of the incident is what happened to the legitimate users of BTCE who were caught up in the FBI dragnet and who lost access to a significant amount of their own funds when the BTCE domain was seized by the FBI and the site became inaccessible. While the FBI were able to freeze the fiat currency accounts of BTCE that were held in traditional financial services banking institutions, they were not able to acquire the private keys for the cryptocurrency wallets held by the exchange. Understandably, many of these users were quite irate at the situation. Some of the users had millions of dollars in their accounts and saw the authorities as complicit in causing huge financial losses on ordinary customers without regard for their financial welfare. Within days, a Telegram app encrypted chat group invitation circulated on Twitter inviting all the BTCE shutdown victims to unite to seek restitution. 
While it would have been perfectly understandable for the administrators of the exchange, with the FBI hot on their tails, to disappear into the ether, never to be seen again, through various channels, including the chat group, they started to communicate with the victims that a solution was at hand as they restructured and regrouped. The BTCE entity was dissolved, effectively becoming insolvent given the $110 million fine, and the customer database and BTCE's debts were sold on to a new entity called WEX that used a new domain, WEX.NZ. The new entity had new investors who agreed to socialize the 38% loss among all users regardless of each user's holdings of cryptocurrency or fiat on the exchange. When the WEX.NZ exchange was launched a month later with an almost identical interface to the interface originally used by BTCE, each user was given 62% of their original holdings in cryptocurrency with the remainder 38% given as IOU tokens. These tokens could be redeemed at the end of a two-year waiting period at which point the exchange was expected to have enough reserves to repay all users. For example, someone who lost Bitcoin would receive a Bitcoin IOU token that would eventually be redeemed for the same amount of Bitcoin. These IOU tokens could also be traded on the exchange with other users for a discount to their face value. The irony of this whole situation was that it seemed to prove the expression honor among thieves to be true. While the FBI appeared to disregard any harm their law enforcement actions may have inflicted on the honest, legitimate users of BTCE, of which there were many, it was the supposedly dishonest criminal administrators of BTCE who seemed to display more integrity in making sure their loyal users weren't left out of pocket as a result of a situation in which they'd played no part. Perhaps they were fulfilling their own idealistic libertarian ideals in which government has no role to play in the intermediary management of individuals' finances, or perhaps they just felt it was the right thing to do. But either way, their actions proved that perhaps there is more depth to this story than we can ascertain from the information that is in the public domain. In the meantime, Vinick's extradition cases have not yet been resolved as he awaits a judicial result in prison in Greece. There was also an alleged conspiracy to kill him with poison to prevent his repatriation to Russia, where it is believed he may implicate other co-conspirators who do not want to be identified. If eventually extradited to the US, he faces a possible five-year sentence for unlicensed operation of a money services business charge and 20 years for each money laundering charge. One important postscript to the BTCE saga is that in mid-2018, one year after the site's reincarnation as Wex.NZ, the managers had a disagreement and the site stopped functioning correctly with all cryptocurrency withdrawals being suspended. The situation has not been resolved and the site went offline mid-2018. Thus, while most users were able to recoup 62% of their losses, the remainder may be gone forever. BitConnect The ICO craze of 2017 had every man and his dog investing in a plethora of different cryptocurrencies with various claims and business models. BitConnect was one of the most notorious. It claimed to be a lending platform that borrowed Bitcoin from users that would be locked up for extended periods of time during which the users would receive a guaranteed interest of 1% per day on average. 
They claimed that they had a sophisticated trading bot that was making highly profitable trades on the Bitcoin markets. Users would also receive gains from the increase in value of the BitConnect tokens that they received and referral commissions when their friends also invested. During 2017, the BitConnect token price increased exponentially from $0.16 to $463 as users became greedier and greedier, referring more and more friends to the scheme. The company produced impressive music videos with huge production values and held events filled with ecstatic users declaring in lengthy testimonials how much the scheme had changed their lives and created enormous amounts of wealth for them. Sometimes, if something sounds too good to be true, it is. Many suspected that BitConnect was a Ponzi scheme, with the investments from new investors being used to pay the returns for earlier investors, and by the end of 2017, things started to unravel. The Texas State Securities Board and the North Carolina State Securities Division warned that BitConnect wasn't licensed to sell securities in their respective jurisdictions, and on January 3, 2018, Texas issued a cease and desist court order as BitConnect was unable to prove the legitimacy of its operation. The price of their token crashed immediately down to around $5 and eventually became worthless as the majority of exchanges delisted it. Eventually, one of the regional leaders was arrested in India in August 2018. The company's name has since become synonymous with cryptocurrency scams. Next episode of WTF is Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency and blockchain guide for dinner parties, we'll be reading Chapter 13, Applications for Governments, and we'll focus on how blockchain can be leveraged to improve the functioning of governmental organizations to increase transparency and accountability and decrease corruption. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't hesitate to like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with anyone you think will enjoy it. It really helps us reach a much larger audience. <laughs>